Hello, friend. Welcome back to Low Life on Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel. I'm your host, as always, Neil Helligers. Glad to see you back. A quick recap. Um, Carrie and Brad met a bunch more crazy Floridians. A little redundant. <laughs> Sorry, Florida. And uh, Carrie learned something more about Gators, but unfortunately, it was mostly math. Oh, and speaking of math, here's a word from our sponsor. calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, before we get to episode five, I always love to take a moment to talk about our amazing voice talent, Eleanor Caudill and Nick Sullivan, who are just really great, aren't they? Eleanor is a full-time audiobook performer who's spent about six years on stage. Uh, she's done commercial work. She's a voiceover artist. She's been on TV a time or two. And yes, actually, she really is from Florida. So this is her milieu, right? Nick Sullivan is, I'm going to say, a king of all trades. He has been on Broadway. He's been on TV. He does audiobooks, narrative. He does video games, and he's actually even written a series of thrillers inspired by his love of scuba diving. And this is how it works, right? We have great writers on this show, we have fantastic production work happening, and then we have the creative and collaborative contribution of these two amazing voice artists, and all that together makes up the amazing crazy story that you're about to hear uh, a little bit more of. So here is episode five of Low Life. Enjoy. Marlin shrieked in terror when the front door opened. He lost the grip on his banker's box, spilling its contents onto Vicky Velasquez's stoop. Har har, Vicky said. Her face was slathered in a slimy green mask, and she had curlers in her hair. She frowned when she saw Carrie standing behind him. Really? I'm in the middle of my beauty routine. I'm sorry, Carrie said. I told him to ask you first. If we asked her, she would have said no, said Marlin. Vicky looked them up and down. Ask me what? I need you to hold on to some boxes for me. It'll just be a few days. I don't have room. Aren't you going to ask me what's in them? What's in them? Top secret government files. That's supposed to be a selling point? Keep them at your place. There's no locks there. Remember 4th of July? I got drunk and thought I'd lost my key, so I kicked the door in. I told you about that. That was three months ago. You haven't gotten it fixed? There's nothing anyone wants in there. 
come on. What if we just keep them in the pool house? Carrie nudged Marlin, whispering, We shouldn't keep them in a pool house. It's a very secure pool house. Vicky smiled. He's actually not wrong. There was this pool boy a few years ago. He kept making up excuses to come back and watch me sunbathe. He gave me a great deal on the security system. It's so cutting edge that even I don't know where he hid all the cameras. Exactly. And what's it protecting now, your precious pool noodles? You barely use the pool anymore. I barely use it because you promised you'd help maintain it and you haven't. Now it looks like a science experiment. I'll skim it this week. Pinky swear. How many boxes? Marlin pointed back at Carrie's car. About a golf's worth. Where's the brat? It's at the Publix in Hallandale Beach. Did you bring me fried chicken? Carrie wouldn't let me get any. Vicky looked at Carrie. Are you some kind of monster? Carrie shrugged. Apparently. All right, Bubbles, I'll hold on to them. You have one week to get it all out of here. You're a lifesaver, Vicky. So what the hell is going on? She looked at the cast on Carrie's arm. And what happened to her? It's better if you don't know. Carrie's already mad that I looped in Sparky. Nope, if you're keeping your shit here, I'm inside the circle. Marlin looked to Carrie for approval. She let out a deep sigh. What's one more? I'm going to go get cleaned up, Vicky said. Meet me inside after you get it taken care of. I'll make drinks. You still remember the code? 5495, our anniversary. Why the fuck would I make the code our anniversary, you moron? Vicky said. And that's not even the right date. Not even close. Carrie felt better when she saw the heavily fortified pool house. It was small, but the locks were solid, and Vicky wasn't lying about the cameras. As they shuttled the last of the boxes, Carrie asked Marlin if they needed to tell Vicky everything. Couldn't they lie about Carrie's place being fumigated or something? Marlin steamrolled past her concerns, just like he'd been doing all night. After the Weregator attack, Carrie wanted to stick to her plan and put the boxes into a self-storage. But Marlin pushed back, insisting that you couldn't trust those places. He had an ex-friend named Hambone who ran a storage facility. Marlin had it firsthand that Hambone regularly raided the lockups, hunting for gifts for his wife, Judy the Booty, in an effort to stop her from leaving him for some shady online guy who claimed he was a Nigerian prince with a kingdom full of tropical fruits and unrefined ores. All hers for the asking. It was an unreasonably long-winded story, and Carrie finally caved just so he'd stop talking. By the time Marlin suggested Vicky's house, Carrie was too exhausted to protest. Her pet theory was that Marlin was still in love with Vicky, angling for excuses to spend time with her. He mentioned several times on the drive here that he wanted to solve this mystery so that people would see that he wasn't an idiot. Carrie figured that the people he was referring to were all Vicky. It was sweet, but also a little bit sad. Okie dokie, that's the last of it, Marlin said, dropping the final box onto the polished concrete floor. Let's go fill Vicky in. I want to hear what she thinks about your grandpa. Carrie yawned for effect. Do I need to be here for this part? I was thinking I might head back home. Head back? Tonight? It's not that late. 
What about the Novak trip to Mara? Don't you want to meet the elusive Wilma? Blah. Carrie knew he was going to ask about that again. Marlin was planning to head out to the Everglades to visit some environmentalist. He thought she might have something to do with what was going on, or at least be able to give him a lead or two. To Carrie, it felt like grasping at straws. She was eager to find out what was going on too, but she felt like Marlin was just barreling ahead without a plan or much direction. I have a lot of studying to catch up on. I've got a huge exam Monday morning. Just come in for one drink. Vicky makes a mean frozen mojito. I got her the blender for her birthday. I'm really tired, Brad. Okay, fine, Marlin said, closing the pool house door behind them. Automated locks beeped as they secured her grandfather's boxes inside. Carrie saw the dejection on Marlin's face. Maybe she shouldn't be so hard on him. Vicky swung open her French doors to the living room. Her face was clean and she held up two magnificent mojitos. Who's thirsty? She called out. Carrie's leaving, Marlin responded. She's beat. Carrie had to admit that the frosty cocktails did look refreshing, and she hadn't had a drink for days. Actually, I'll stay for a drink, Carrie said. Just one though, okay? Carrie woke up in the dark. Her dislocated wrist throbbed. She could make out the zebra print of the couch she was lying on. Oh, hey, you're up, Vicky said from a recliner across the living room. Where am I? Carrie asked. Vicky laughed. Sweetheart, you fell asleep the second you hit that sofa. You barely touched your drink. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to... I was planning on going home. Don't worry about it. Brad filled me in on everything. Even scaling it back to account for his baloney. It's still a wild story. I don't even know if you need to scale it back. Oh, Bubbles macheted an alligator man's face clean off, did he? He actually said the words, See you later, alligator. Carrie demurred. No, I don't think he got anywhere near it. I ran over its tail with my car. Her eyes were finally fully adjusted to the dark. She and Vicky were alone. Where is he? That dummy crawled into my bed while I was in the bathroom and fell asleep. I tried to wake him up, but he's down for the count and snoring like crazy. God, I do not miss that about him. You two were married, right? Once upon a time. It's better now as friends. I love the guy, but he was a shit husband. Can I give you some advice? Sure. Don't follow him down his rabbit holes. When he gets going, his enthusiasm is infectious, but it's just going to land you in trouble. I'm already in trouble. There are alligator people coming after me. Yeah, but Brad's not the guy you want running the show. If you feel like one of his plans isn't going to work, it's not. I can tell you're a smart girl. Trust yourself. This was advice that Carrie had only recently learned to heed herself. When her most recent boyfriend, Alex, had begun to exhibit signs of controlling behavior, Carrie voiced some concerns to her friends and family. They would tell her that she was reading too much into it. Boys will be boys, her mother told her. Carrie turned a blind eye to the obvious warning signs. She should have listened to her gut and gotten out of the relationship sooner. When she broke it off, he made her life in Connecticut miserable, stalking her and spreading lies to her friends. He was still texting her, even reaching out to her with a Florida phone number just two nights ago. When she moved down here, Carrie made a pact with herself that she would listen to her instincts more. 
She knew this situation was different. Brad was a sweet guy. He was only trying to be proactive. Someone needed to figure out what was going on, but his shoot-first, ask-questions-later ethos was rubbing Carrie the wrong way, and it almost got them killed by a were-gator last night. Carrie sat up on the couch. He wants to go sniffing around an environmentalist compound out in the Everglades tomorrow, she said. I'm not sure it's a good idea, but he's convinced that it is. I feel bad bailing on him. Don't fall for the puppy dog eyes. Don't become his sidekick. You've already seen how that ends. If he wants to go on another adventure, that's what he has Sparky for. You deal with this whole thing the way you want to. Thanks, Vicky. I was starting to think I was crazy. Get some sleep, okay? Then tomorrow, you make your break for it. Carrie leaned against her golf in the public's parking lot. She watched Marlon pace, talking into his flip phone. Someone named Leroy was on the other end. Come on, man. Try them again. I need to get out there. No, it has to be this morning. We're all ready to go. He turned, almost knocking into an old man dragging a shopping cart behind his rascal scooter. I don't really have a choice, do I? Fine. Text me the meeting point. We'll be there. Don't worry. He snapped his phone shut and walked toward Carrie, disappointment in his gait. What was that? She asked. Leroy heard from his contact at the outpost. I guess they're too busy to meet until later in the day. They want us to come by around six. Marlon checked his phone. Eight hours to kill. Carrie was secretly relieved. This was the excuse she needed. I don't think I can do tonight, she said. Maybe this one's without me? What's going on? I have that test tomorrow. I haven't had any time to study. You've got all day now. Why don't you go home and look at books for a while? I'll pick you up around 4.30. I have so much to do, Brad. How about this? I'll come with you and help study. I know a lot about sea creatures and whatnot. Stuff they don't tell you in books. We'll make flashcards. Carrie remembered Vicky's words. She needed to stay firm. I'm not sure why we're even going out there. If it's just to get your chupacabra spray, I don't work for you. Marlon took off his shades. He looked annoyed. No, it's not just a spray. Leroy said this Wilma lady was an environmental freak who has a weird connection to chupacabras. That Ivan guy told you Olivia was hanging out with environmentalists before she went missing. That's no coincidence. We need to check these people out. There's a ton of environmentalists in Florida. Why can't it be a coincidence? Marlon shook his head. It's not. I've got a hunch that they're involved. And what if they are? If these are the same people who killed Eduardo, the same people breaking into my house to get at my grandfather's boxes, should we really be walking right into their place? Wouldn't that be supremely stupid? I'm prepared to knock some heads if I need to. I'm not. This is a bad idea. I'm the one they've been coming after. I want to resolve this thing as much as you do, but I get to make my own decisions. I'm not going. Is it cool if I go without you? I really do need to get some spray. If you need to get spray, get spray. But we don't need you kicking up dirt out there. It could just get us into deeper trouble. Did Vicky get to you? Look, I really appreciate you coming to my rescue last night, but we need to be smarter than this. We can't just go jumping at any tiny leads we get and going into places ready to knock heads could get us killed. I can protect you. He was at it again. Those puppy dog eyes. 
Carrie hated to do it, but... I'm not going with you, Brad. I want to lay low for a bit. You owe me that chance. Marlon looked down at his feet. I guess you've decided. I have. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. Please be careful out there. She got into her golf and headed back home. She was glad that she'd spoken her mind, but she still felt like shit. Hello, friend. This is Neil Helligers, host of Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit more about the Greenlight app. And this message is, of course, sponsored by Greenlight, but I was using, our family was using the Greenlight app uh, even before the first ad in a wonderful, thrilling, cosmic coincidence, right? See what I did there? So again, to catch you up, Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. Basically, the way it works is that parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving. And you can see exactly how much money they have in their account. And there's different ways to give them money. What we've been doing is on a, like a weekly allowance, a certain amount that goes into his account every week. So in order to further the conversation about money and about earning, uh, we're using Greenlight as a kind of a foundation for that conversation. Uh, in other words, instead of just the allowance he gets for certain base things that he's expected to do around the house, uh, we are also adding the chore feature, which is certain one-time payments for certain one-time jobs. For example, in our house, we're trying to encourage our son to start walking the dog more. He's old enough for it, he's responsible enough for it, and he's done it enough that he knows what to do. So he can really see that for all those extra times that he steps up and does the dog walk, he gets rewarded for that job well done. And this is the conversation. In life, when you work a little extra harder, you get a little extra compensation and you can either save that up or spend it how you like. And we're not alone in this. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's a very easy and very convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate life together. So sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash adrenaline. That's greenlight.com slash adrenaline to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash adrenaline slash 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 slash. So thrilling, right? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Marlon steered the brat along a broken, badly paved road. Through the fog, he saw the outline of a small wooden dock leading into the swamp. The air was thick and the sun was setting. He came to a stop, let the engine idle, and turned to Sparky. I guess this is it. See? We made it with ten minutes to spare. You didn't need to drive like a goddamn lunatic. Leroy was adamant that the guy wasn't going to wait around. Heaven forbid you try and be on time when I have something I want to do. This is important. Drag karaoke's important, too. 
Sparky grumbled. Jesus, why is everyone jumping down my throat lately? Oh, relax, I'm only having fun, Sparky said, unhooking his seatbelt. He rooted around in his pocket. Marlin wondered why he'd invited Sparky along. After the carry conversation, he was asking himself whether he should even be here. He decided that he wasn't going to poke around looking for clues. If something happened to fall in his lap, sure. Maybe he'd ask a question or two, but only to keep Wilma on her toes. Marlin caught Sparky palming something in his hand. You can do it in front of me. It's fine. That's against the rules, Mr. Marlin. I made you a promise. Why don't you go wait for our guy out on the dock? The fog gives me the heebie-jeebies. You go ahead and do your thing. I can handle it. It had been twelve years since Marlin's last dance with cocaine. Kicking that habit was his only accomplishment that he'd been consistently proud of. He still drank like a fish and smoked good weed when he could afford it. He could mostly keep himself in check on them. California cornflakes were a different story. To hear Marlin tell it, Coke was single-handedly responsible for the dissolution of his marriage to Vicky in the early aughts. His problems only multiplied after the divorce. Marlin's first encounter with his beloved Sparky came in the bathroom of the Elbow Room during the second Bush administration, when Marlin sold him an eight ball. Neither of them belonged anywhere near that tourist shithole, and Sparky hadn't been impressed by the stepped-on garbage Marlin was slinging, but their love of fishing and multi-day benders made their friendship click. Sparky was just out of the Marines, and he was still clinging hard to that don't-ask-don't-tell mentality. Partying with a freak like Marlin had encouraged him to let his guard down. And when Sparky came out, Marlin had barely blinked. How hard you party and who you party with is your own goddamn business, Marlin always said. Sparky, to his credit, had quickly clocked that Marlin couldn't quite handle his Peruvian and was instrumental in pushing his friend to get clean. That didn't mean that the sparkler had any interest in stopping himself. They'd made a deal that he'd never indulge in front of Marlin. Of course, Sparky had been on cocaine around him on a regular basis. That part didn't bother Marlin. He just couldn't be trusted with the stuff if he saw it. As long as you're sure, Sparky said, opening his palm to reveal a bindle of cocaine. Of course I'm sure. Where are you getting it these days? You told me to never tell you if you ask that. Yeesh, Marlin said. I'm just making conversation. Look the other way, all right? You're making me uncomfortable. Marlin stared out the windshield checked his mirrors. Still no sign of their contact. He heard a familiar snorting sound. When he turned, Sparky was rubbing his nose. How was it? Marlin asked. Sparky chortled. You're being awfully skeevy, Bradley. What do you think would happen if I had just a little taste? Sparky's smile disappeared. No, sir. Never. No way, no how. Not from me, you aren't. I wasn't trying to get some from you, Marlin protested. Great. Good. Fine. They sat in awkward silence for the next few minutes. Finally, Marlin spotted a light through the fog. Here he comes, he said. Don't let me do anything dumb, okay? Honey, you do you. I'm the brawn, you're the brains. 
You're the brains and the brawn. Then what are you? Sparky asked. Damned if I know, Marlin said. They walked out onto the dock and watched a large man row a tiny Zodiac inflatable boat toward them. A small outboard motor hung from the stern, but the giant was using the oars instead. Sparky waved hello and muttered to Marlin, I don't see any spray. I was thinking the same thing. As the Zodiac neared, they were able to make out the vessel's captain. He was a beast of a man, built like a lumberjack, with the beard of a lumberjack, dressed in the filthy flannel shirt of a lumberjack. Look at this fucking lumberjack, Sparky whispered. The inflatable bumped up against the dock. One of you marlin, the giant man called out in a deep North Florida drawl. I am, Marlin said. Who's he? The guy asked, nodding to Sparky. This is Sparky. He's my partner. The giant raised a bushy eyebrow. Partner in a business way, Marlin clarified, feeling Sparky's glare as he spoke. Sparky hated when Marlin tried to straightwash him, but he also wasn't going to chance it with their new friend. Hop in, the guy said. You couldn't bring the spray here? Wilma needs to meet you first. Get in. I'm sorry, what do we call you? Sparky asked. Doesn't matter, the guy said, spitting into the swamp. Sparky looked to Marlin, then back at the guy. Sorry, but this ain't Cherry Grove in the summer of 2006, which means that I'm not hopping onto your dinghy without knowing your name. The big guy scowled at Sparky. It's Pete. Now get in the boat. The ride through the swamp was agonizingly slow. Marlin asked Pete why he wasn't using the outboard motor. Pete gave a one-word response. Pollutes. He didn't say another word for the next 20 minutes. It became clear that they were heading into some sort of eco-friendly wonderland, or as Sparky called it under his breath, a gutta-punk Swiss family Robinson. They passed a dozen or so shacks built high up on stilts, ringed and lit by tiki torches. Many of the ramshackle homes were connected by rope bridges. The few people that they saw coming and going were in their early 20s. Lots of tattoos and piercings. Probably a shampoo-free zone. Marlin couldn't believe these were people that Olivia Matheson would have mixed with. By all accounts, she was a goody two-shoes. These folks looked like extras from Mad Max, too whacked out and hungry to take the system down. Off in the distance, Marlin noticed a tree towering above the swamp. He'd seen ancient cypress trees before, but nothing like this one. Its root system extended 20 feet above the water level and housed a two-story structure made of scavenged lumber, adobe, and burnt clay bricks. It almost looked like a giant beehive. Dark smoke spewed from a rickety chimney. What the hell's going on out there, he asked. Pete responded with a grunt, rowing them toward a building off their port side. This one was larger and sturdier than the others. Marlin guessed that it was the original, and all the rest were poorly assembled replicas. A long dock stretched down to the water. As they approached, a slim blonde in cut-off shorts and a white tank top walked out the front door. She carried a brown paper bag. Is that Wilma? Marlin asked Pete. No. 
The girl walked down the dock toward their boat. Marlin thought she was cute. A little skinnier than he usually liked, but she had long tan legs and... and a gun sticking out of her daisy dukes. Looked like a 45. She called out. It was supposed to just be one. Pete ignored her and kept rowing. She tried again. Wilma's only expecting one, Pete. You should have radioed. The inflatable slapped against the edge of the dock. Pete picked up a coil of bow line from under his feet. Tie me up, Delilah. Delilah pulled a chicken drumstick from her bag. She took a defiant bite. Pete tossed the rope to her. She let it bounce off her thigh without flinching. The line spilled into the water. Tie yourself up, she said. You're a big boy. Pete stared her down. She gave it right back to him, taking another big bite of chicken. Pete grumbled to himself, stood up, and started hauling wet rope back into the boat. Marlin noticed a donut-shaped cushion on Pete's bench. He wasn't the only one who spotted it. The hell is that? Delilah asked. Nothing, Pete said. Bullshit, it's nothing, the girl laughed. That's a hemorrhoid ring. Pete turned bright red. Marlin was almost starting to feel bad for the guy. It's okay, Marlin said. We've all had them. Nothing to be ashamed of. He wobbled his way to his feet in the front of the boat and reached for the edge of the dock. Delilah dropped her bag and pulled the gun out of her shorts. She aimed it at Marlin and cocked the hammer. Did I give you permission to come ashore, asshole? Marlin let go. No, you didn't. My name is Brad Marlin. I'm from Critter County Pest Control. I'm just here to pick up some chupacabra spray. I know who you are. You think we don't have Google out here? She kept the pistol aimed at Marlin and trained her drumstick on Sparky. It's this guy we didn't vet. Leroy didn't mention nobody else. Sparky grinned. Oh, honey, you wouldn't have been able to find any good dirt on me. But if you must know, the name's Theodore Jameson Putter III. My friends call me Sparky. And believe me, I don't give a crap about anything you're doing out here. Delilah looked to Pete, who was finishing tying the boat up. He seemed cool? Yeah, sure, Pete said as he climbed out onto the dock. He's coked to the gills, so he's no cop. If I'm getting the stink of nart from either of them, it's Marlin. But Leroy vouched for it. I think they're probably both okay. Sparky checked his nose for residue and smiled up at her. I'll have you know there's plenty of cops who get busy with the stardust, especially in South Florida. Trust me on this. Delilah stuffed the gun back in her shorts and turned to Pete. Go tell my mom that there's two of them. Ask if she ever heard of a sparky putter. If she says it's cool, ring the bell once and I'll bring them back. If she says it ain't, ring it twice. What happens if he rings it twice? Sparky asked. I blow both your brains into the swamp. Pete chuckled to himself and lumbered toward the massive shack. He turned back. Wait, was that once for cool or once for kill them? Once for cool, Marlin yelled. What he said, Delilah snickered. She sat down on the edge of the dock and crossed her legs. Her bare foot grazed the edge of the rubber boat. Marlin struggled to make himself comfortable in the Zodiac. His back was killing him. So, Wilma's your mom, he asked. Pete was right, you are nosy. 
Look, I'm not big on long silences, okay? I don't care about any of you. I want my spray and that's it. Uh-huh. She pulled out another piece of chicken. I would have taken you all for vegetarians, Marlin said. Most of us are. I'm a freegan, though. What's that? Marlin asked. I'll eat meat if it's going to go to waste otherwise. We have some guys that raid dumpsters for us. They hit a crispy crunchy last night. You want any? Trash chicken? No thanks. Suit yourself, she pouted. So what is this place? Like a commune? You could say that. How's it work? Can anyone join? Why? You want in? I might just be ready to drop out, tired of paying my bills. Haven't liked anything on TV since they canceled Knight Rider. Where do I sign up? You don't strike me as someone who's down with our cause. Which is what? Saving the planet? I recycle. I like animals. You're an exterminator. And Wilma is selling me sucker spray. Isn't that kind of hypocritical? It absolutely is. I don't agree with my mom on everything. What else do you disagree with? Kinda think I've said enough to you. Marlin looked over at Sparky, who made a cut-it-out motion with his hand. The ring of a gong cut through the silence. Delilah held up one finger and put her other hand on her gun. She waited. There was no second gong. Let's go, she said. Marlin and Sparky followed Delilah up the steep dock to the residence. The house sat atop a series of river birch stilts nearly 12 feet above the water level. Sparky wore a storm on his face. Marlin wasn't going to hear the end of this on the ride home, if there was a ride home. Nothing felt right about the situation. But there was no turning back now. So, look, I got tickets to the opera tonight. How long is this going to take? Marlin asked Delilah. It'll take as long as it takes. That's very helpful. Thank you for that. Delilah pulled the front door open. She motioned for them to enter. Marlin peeked inside. All he could see was darkness. Ladies first, he said. Delilah laughed. Oh, after you. You're our guest. Sparky let out an exasperated sigh. Can we just do this already? Marlin followed him inside. The room wasn't in total darkness. At least two dozen candles ringed the perimeter. Probably not the smartest move when you're living in a house made of sticks. Pete stepped out from the shadows. He was carrying a shotgun, but kept it pointed at the floor. The place felt like some sort of war room. Homemade bookcases lined the walls on their right. The left wall was covered in a giant map of the Everglades. Smaller maps of Florida City circled it. Straight ahead of Marlin and Sparky, a lazy boy recliner was turned away from them. A wild mop of dirty blonde curls was visible over the chair back. Delilah took a position near Pete. All right, Mama, they're here. Both of them, cracked a woman's voice. Yes, ma'am, Delilah said. Mr. Marlin, the woman continued, why have you infiltrated our organization today? I haven't infiltrated shit. I'm just here to pick up some spray. I'm only an exterminator. That's right. 
You make your living killing defenseless animals. If you saw my bank account, you wouldn't call what I make a living. Oh, a comedian? I don't care for jokes, Mr. Marlin. Sure, whatever. Besides, suckers aren't animals. They're monsters, and we all know it. Look, I'm sorry, but can we get this spray or not? Not, came the response. On that cue, Delilah and Pete raised their guns at Marlin and Sparky. The two men shot their hands in the air. Sparky shot Marlin a dirty look, then turned to Wilma's chair. Excuse me, ma'am, Sparky said. I'd like to point out that I'm an innocent here. Marlin asked me if I wanted to go for a ride. I went for a ride. I'm like a golden retriever. You wouldn't want to kill a golden retriever, right? Seems against your whole ethos. Ah, yes, Sparky Putter, commercial fisherman, Wilma said. Tell me, how many fish die in your nets each year? Sparky gulped. Okay, wait, Marlin said. You didn't just bring us all the way out here just to shoot us. Actually, that's exactly what we did. Pete? Delilah? Yes, they responded. Kill them. Marlin heard a fresh round click into the chamber of Pete's shotgun. He closed his eyes. His long, shitty life flashed before him. He thought about Vicky. He thought about the dozens of ways he'd screwed up their marriage. He thought about Eduardo. How he'd disappointed Carrie. How he dragged his best friend Sparky into this mess just to get him killed. How he was a pathetic, goddamned failure at everything he'd ever tried to do. Then he wondered why he wasn't dead. He opened his eyes. He looked down to find Sparky cowering in a ball on the floor. To his right, he saw Delilah. Her pistol was tucked back in her shorts. She laughed. Wait, what? Marlin asked. Pete swiveled the lazy boy around. They were face to face with Wilma Novak. She was not what Marlin expected. Leroy had said that Wilma wasn't tiny and he wasn't kidding. She had to weigh at least 400 pounds. She wore a filthy purple t-shirt featuring Daffy Duck and a pair of gray sweats. She cradled a gnarled wooden walking stick across her knees. She burst out in a machine gun cackle. Holy shit, you should see the look on your fucking faces, she bellowed. Sparky poked his head from his hands. Marlin laughed nervously. Wait, what? He said again. We're messing with you, Wilma said. Just wanted to put a little fright in you. See how you reacted. Don't worry, you passed with flying colors. You're no threat. Sparky was nonplussed. I seriously could have had a heart attack. Then you'd be up Shit's Creek, lady. Eh, I'd have dumped you in the swamp. I'd sleep just as well. Jesus Christ, Marlin said. Wilma wrapped her cane on the floor. All right, let's drop the charade. I already know why you're here. You want to talk about Olivia Matheson turning into an alligator, right? I don't know what... Oh, spare me. I've been waiting to get you in this room since you popped up on our radar a few days back. Pete'll get you a drink. What's your poison? Marlin knew how to field this question. A beer's always good. Wilma made a loud buzzer sound. Eh, wrong answer. Pete, take that swollen ass of yours into the other room and get us some hooch. Pete nodded and left through a second door. Now, sit down, you two. 
and let's talk about that sweet little Olivia. Marlin and Sparky sat squeezed together on a ratty old love seat. There was a coffee table in front of them. Wilma apologized for not getting up to give a proper greeting, but her knees weren't what they used to be. Yeah, I hear you, Marlin said. I got a knee thing. Wilma shot back. From what I've heard, you've got a bit of a hole in the foot thing, too. Sparky smiled. This is an impressive setup you've got out here. It ain't too much, but we call it home. It's important that we're as far off the grid as we can get. Not that we don't have a public-facing side. Whatever it takes to protect our mama Earth. Peaceful demonstrations, sit-ins, all that good stuff. We used a few clean-cut members of the collective for that. They play better on TV. So that's how you got hooked up with Olivia Matheson? Marlin gasped. She doesn't seem like the type to hang out around here. At least from what little I know about her. That, Mr. Marlin, Wilma said, is what has us all kind of confused. What exactly do you know about Olivia? Because as far as we can tell, you're fumbling around like a mule with his pecker in a hornet's nest. You were snooping around in Spudville a few days ago. We know all about your friend Russ and his giant upright alligator. Wait, how did you... We've got our eyes everywhere. And folks with their ears to the ground. Your daughter told me about your trash people. Wilma laughed. We've got lots of eyes and ears that aren't crawling around in dumpsters, I assure you. Pete returned with a large mason jar filled with a clear liquid and a set of shot glasses. As he hunched over the coffee table, Wilma yanked back her cane and whacked it hard across his backside. Pete yelped in pain. She howled with delight. Marlin sunk back into the love seat. He wondered how much Wilma already knew. Had she figured out that he'd killed Olivia? There was a chance if her eyes were really everywhere. But Marlin felt pretty sure they'd kept that one under wraps. If Wilma didn't know, he certainly wasn't going to tell her. Not until he knew he could trust her. Marlin took a sip of moonshine. He cringed. Wilma laughed. She was already on her third shot. So I'll ask you again. What do you know about Olivia Matheson? Honestly, deadly squat. I'll admit I'm kind of playing amateur detective here. I saw her story on the news and it broke my fucking heart. I wanted to see if I could help. Russ told me some crazy shit, and I also learned that Olivia was hanging out with some radical environmentalists. How'd you hear about that? Olivia's friend Ivan, Marlin lied. Well, a lie of omission. Ivan actually told that to Carrie, but he wanted to try and keep Carrie's name out of this. Ivan told you she was hanging out with our group? Wilma said. Sparky was confused. Wait, which one is Ivan? Marlin continued. Nope, he didn't say much. I don't think he knows anything about your organization. Leroy's the one who told me about a group of environmentalists that lived out in the swamp. Figured it was a long shot that you'd be the same folks, but fuck it. Thought I'd check you out. Wilma snorted. So you think we had something to do with Olivia's disappearance? It's crossed my mind. You ready to uncross it? She pressed. 
Can't say we've reached that point. It's a little risky, no? Coming out here trying to investigate people you think made a girl disappear? Risk is my middle name, baby. That's what we're afraid of. We're desperately trying to find our dear comrade Olivia. And every bit of info that we've uncovered about you leads us to believe you're a grade-A fuck-up. I'd say that's accurate, Marlon conceded. Sparky nodded in agreement. And what do fuck-ups do? Wilma asked. They fuck things up. And we don't want you fucking this up. For us. For Olivia. We're trying to find the poor girl, not put her in an early grave. Marlin poured himself another shot of creek water. Now I get it. This is one of those stay-the-hell-away-from-this meetings. In a way. But I can tell you're not willing to do that. Isn't that right? Yep. So I'm going to do something Delilah and Pete told me I'm stupid to do. I'm going to tell you everything. You're going to see just how big this whole thing is and how dangerous it is for you to get involved. Marlin leaned forward. Oh, yeah? You know Henry Matheson, right? Olivia's father. Not personally. He's a major asshole. But let me back up. The biggest threat to Florida has always been Floridians. The Everglades are only half the size they were when we became a state. We saw this beautiful land, took what we wanted, and we done fucked it right up. Now I think the day is gonna come when Mother Earth reclaims what's hers. That's her right, and we all deserve what's coming. But no one is guiltier than Henry Matheson. It'll take centuries to recover the land from the devastation he's already wrought. And he's only getting started. Over the last few months, he's made deal after shady deal with crooked politicians to acquire portions of the Everglades. Spotty sections here and there, but I couldn't figure out why. They're home to a ton of plants and animals, but I'd think pretty useless to a sleazebag industrialist like him. He's an evil, evil piece of shit. I knew that whatever he was planning, it was going to be bad. You know he's behind the chupacabras, right? Ma, please, Delilah said. What do you mean? Marlin asked Wilma. Nobody's ever figured out their origin. Suckers were classified as a new species, a distinct branch on the evolutionary tree. Uh-huh, sure. And you don't think someone with enough scratch could have paid those scientists to say that? All that toxic sludge Matheson's been pumping into the ocean from Port Everglades, that's what created him. Now, I don't know if he intentionally caused the outbreak, but I wouldn't be surprised. I know for a fact that he makes money off of that spray the big chain exterminators use. He created the demand, then provided the supply. That's capitalism for you. I thought he was like a real estate guy. I never heard any of this. Delilah crossed her legs. It's a bit of a stretch, huh? Wilma scoffed. My daughter doesn't buy it. Don't get me wrong, Delilah went on. Henry Matheson is the scum of the earth. He deserves to be shot point blank in the goddamn face. But he didn't create the chupacabras. You can't hang everything on that man, mama. You go spewing that conspiracy shit, no one's gonna take us seriously. Well, I did find one person out there who shared my beliefs about him, Wilma said. She turned to Marlin. Wanna guess who? His daughter.
Marlin answered. Exactly. You see, she overheard her father talking about a plan to dry the wetlands. He wants to build there. What, like a Napoleon Bonaparte Broward kind of thing? Sparky said. Wilma raised her shot glass. You know your history. I'm impressed. Who was he? Marlin asked. Governor of Florida from 1905 to 1909, Sparky answered. His claim to fame was wanting to completely drain the Everglades, or as he called them, the fabulous muck. His plans never materialized, though. Obviously. Turns out it wasn't possible. Henry Matheson thinks it is, Wilma said. You see, Olivia learned that her father was trying to reconstruct a secret military project from the 1960s called Muck Raker, which he believes will help him succeed where Broward failed. She knew she had to stop him, but she wasn't in a position to do it herself. So she started looking for help. Eventually, she found me. Right, Marlin said. She knew you hated her father as much as she did. And she knew you might have the means to stop what he was planning. If by means you mean balls, then yeah, I got them, Wilma said. I told her we could do whatever was necessary, but we needed to know what exactly her old man was planning. Can't stop a plan you don't understand. Olivia told us she'd be able to steal some files from his computer for us. Did she? Well, here's where we head into the land of speculation. She was supposed to do the deed two weeks ago. She was out here right before she was going to do it. Really, she was looking for another pep talk. The poor girl's father had left her confidence shattered. I wanted to send Pete and Delilah with her, but she told us she needed to go it alone. Said security would never let us tree folk anywhere near her dad's office. What a beautiful, brave soul that girl has. Wilma wiped a tear from the corner of her eye. That was the last time I saw her. Huh, Marlin wondered. So, what do you think happened? Get ready for this one, Delilah sighed. Wilma smiled. Henry Matheson turned his own daughter into an alligator. You don't say, Marlin said. Mama, why you gotta tell this nice man that tall tale? Delilah asked. I keep telling you it ain't no tale. It's the only explanation that makes any lick of sense. Oh, right, Delilah said. A rich scumbag catches his only daughter stealing from him and turns her into a gator. That's the only explanation that makes sense. He fucks with nature, Delilah. He makes mutants. He created the chupacabras, and now he's turning people into reptiles. There's been stories, sightings. Russ isn't the only one down in Spudville talking about people turning into gators. Sure, they were all high as kites, but there ain't no drug out there that causes people to hallucinate the same thing. Bullshit, Delilah said. She turned to Marlin. I'm sorry my mom's wasting your time. There ain't no way that Henry Matheson turned his daughter into an alligator. If he was that pissed off, why not just kill her? Wilma chuckled. I'll admit, that part doesn't make sense to me neither. Well, Marlin said, what if he could control her? Wilma's eyes narrowed. Go on. What if Henry Matheson is building an army of gator soldiers?
Carrie sat at her kitchen table, surrounded by textbooks. She was already behind on schoolwork before all the insanity went down. The original plan was to spend the weekend cramming as much chemical oceanography into her head as she could, then get to bed early so she'd be good and rested for the exam on Monday morning. Now it was late Sunday night and she had finally started making real progress. Her biggest setback wasn't the cast on her arm, it was her broken laptop. Marlon had smashed it over that Gator's head a couple of nights earlier. That meant the day had required a time-consuming trip to the school library to check out a mountain of books and journals on oceanic acidification. While she was there, she grabbed another stack of materials. This included a series of books on the clade Pseudosuchia, as well as more specific studies of alligators and caimans. Once she got her test prep out of the way, Carrie wanted to see if there was anything that could help her better understand the gators. Back at home, she laid out her materials and got down to the business of studying. That's when the text from Marlin started. The first few that he sent were innocent enough. In an inflatable boat. This place is insane. Bunch of hippie punks out here. They have a giant mud hive. She responded, Sounds crazy. Fill me in tomorrow. To that one, hoping that'd be it for the night. An hour later came another flurry. This Wilma Novak lady is awesome. Definitely on the same page. Don't worry, I didn't mention you, not telling her what we did to Olivia either. She ignored those. Then 20 minutes later, Matheson's got a gator army. I'm wasted. Ever had moonshine? You should come out here. They want to meet you. Take an Uber. Carrie wanted to scream. Getting drunk with some hippie punks wasn't a productive use of time. There had to be a scientific explanation for how a person could be transformed into an alligator. She decided to take a break from euxinic conditions and spend some time with the other stack of books. She moved her phone across the room where the constant texts wouldn't be a distraction. For the next two hours, she immersed herself in the world of ancient crocodiliforms. She was surprised to discover a recent journal study arguing that alligators' ancestors may have started out as warm-blooded endotherms. That would indicate a greater deal of genetic similarity with mammals than she would have anticipated. She found an archaic crocodilian called Borosuchus, an extinct lineage, but one whose behaviors resembled mammalian predators, like wolves and other canids. Carrie was comparing illustrations of alligator DNA to human DNA, when the buzzing started up again. God damn it. She glared at the phone. The doorbell rang. Jesus fucking Christ. Was Marlin seriously showing up here uninvited at this hour? She stormed into the front room. She'd tell him to go home. They'd talk tomorrow. She yanked open her front door. Alex, her stalker ex, stood in the doorway. He smiled that same cocksure smile. You're a tough girl to find. Carrie tried to slam the door in his face. He stopped it with his foot. So this episode brings to mind the old adage, of course, that there is a sucker spray made by hippie environmentalists every minute, isn't there? So I, I want to recap really quick uh, for, for the sake of our sanity. We've got uh, chupacabras. We've got chupacabra whispers. We have were-gators, not were-alligators. Again, completely different. But now we have, uh, well, not more were-alligators, but were-allegories. You see what I did there with Matheson's muck raker that will 
drain the swamp, eh, eh? That's why now we know that Olivia was a weregator. It just goes to show that even when you're trafficking in allegory, the daughters of politicians still end up getting the short end of the weregator stick, as always. So yes, there is a lot going on, but there is so much more to come. So I know you'll be there. You know I'll be there for episode six of Low Life. Until then, I'm Neil Helgers, your host, and this is Adrenaline on Realm. Take care. You're listening to Adrenaline Low Life, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Low Life is created and written by Steve Marcarelli and Billy Lawler. Produced by Marco Palmieri. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith. Performed by Nick Sullivan and Eleanor Cottle. Sound design and editing by Kaylin West. Theme music by Amanda Rose Smith with guitar by Kaylin West. Cover art by Marco Cousins. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Osadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Bagala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.